Thank you. You may be seated. Well, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and we will be looking at the whole chapter, 13 verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, when I first came to this passage, um, I, I knew at least somewhat on more of a superficial level what it was about. And um, I, confessing here, I, I was not exceedingly excited um, because the bulk of it is Paul saying, uh, don't partake of meat and if it causes your brother to stumble. And as a carnivore myself, I was a bit discouraged. But after I dug into the text a bit more, it becomes apparent that this passage is not so much about eating of meat or not eating of meat. What this passage is actually doing is Paul entering into an engagement. He, he's entering into somewhat of an argument with the Corinthians to say, here is in fact how you are to live faithfully to God in an idolatrous world. And he'll really put this before the Corinthian church to say, uh, to ask the question, how is it that you're to live faithfully in an idolatrous world? And to answer that question, he really brings up three other questions. He asks them, do you love God? Do you know who you were made for? And do you know that you are not your own? We are about to take up and read, but before we do, let us ask for the Holy Spirit's help in prayer. Gracious Father, we come before you now burdened with a strong burden on our back, looking to you alone who can set the captive free and bring us into glory itself. We are burdened with the idols of our hearts and the idols that constantly call to us to come and to partake. But, oh Lord, what we need this day is fresh eyes to see your glory, that we would forsake the ways of this world and that we would cling to you and to you alone, for you alone are what satisfies our souls. So now, O oh Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to know your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of our Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting with verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. 
For although there are many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things, uh, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. That is the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading of it. So, what Paul is doing here in this section in particular is entering into an engagement with the Corinthian church uh, and, and sympathize with them for a bit. It, what they're saying here is they're pleading with Paul, and it's been reported to him as such, that they partake of certain ceremonies that take place in the temples during that day. Um, it was common practice, especially in the city of Corinth, that the people would gather together for celebrations, and there were side rooms in the, the pagan temples themselves for people to gather together and to celebrate whatever kind of festivities. And, and so they're, they're pleading with Paul to say, you know, Paul, like, you're, you're asking too much of us. You, you really expect us to forsake and give up, like, every sense of what is central to being a Corinthian. See what the Corinthians are actually pleading with Paul about. They're pleading with Paul about their identity. They're saying, Paul, if you take this one right from us, I can't be accepted in society. I lose my identity as a Corinthian. My family will reject me. My friends will reject me. Everybody will forsake me. Who do I have left at the end of the day if you take this one thing away from me, Paul? Do not take it away. And they have some pretty compelling arguments, quite honestly. Paul will open up this way. He, he asks them this question first and foremost. Do you love God? Are you, how are we going to live faithfully in this world filled with idolatry? First question, do you love God? And so he, he opens up this engagement. He shifts gears from what we saw last week to a whole new set uh, that will can be contained between chapters 8 and 10. He's expounding on this one central theme. And he says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, 
but love builds up. Most scholars think that Paul actually here is engaging uh, specific phrases that the Corinthians were speaking to him. Uh, So you'll see uh, in your text that in verse 1, all of us possess knowledge is in brackets. Uh, he, he's writing to them to say, you know, you wrote to me to say, we, we, can, still, we can still go to the temple. We can still be Corinthians. We can, we can have our cake and eat it too, as it were, because, listen, we, we have knowledge. Paul, we, we know how this thing works, right? Like, we don't, we don't have to give that up because we, we get the, the gospel and we understand, you know, that we're not actually eating the idols. And, and so we have this knowledge and it's, it's fine. We're good. But Paul pauses to say, no, no, I don't think you do understand. This knowledge that you have, so you say, it, it's just puffing you up. It's just filling you up with empty air. You've become conceited. You, you think that the whole world is about you and about your identity, and that has blinded you to this truth, that love is actually what builds up. What the Corinthians have really done is, is come before Paul and said, you know, we, we understand theology, Paul. We have good doctrine. We're well studied. And we know how these things work. But Paul says you've missed it from the very get-go. If you think that you know something, then really, you don't yet know as you really ought. And, moreover, he shuts this down by getting to the very heart of the matter. If anyone loves God, he's known by God. Paul cuts to the very core. They say, we understand theology, we know how this works, we can, we can keep being Corinthians, and we can also follow Jesus. And Paul says, but let me ask you this, do you actually love God? Or do you like the idea of following God? It's a difficult thing that Paul is placing before him. He's really, in essence, saying, you know, how can you live in a world that will certainly exclude you if you do not participate in idolatry? Ask yourself this. Do you love God actually? Paul wants them to take this into consideration. Do you, in fact, love the Lord? Um, one of my favorite books is the, the I guess now, famous tome, uh, J.I. Packer's Knowing God. If you haven't read it, please do. And at the beginning uh, of chapter 2, th- there's an illustration there that he begins the whole chapter with that um, has for ever been sealed in my brain, and I think it speaks to a, especially a modern instance of what the Corinthians were going through. He, he says, I, I was walking through the garden with a, a scholarly friend of mine. And as I'm walking through this, uh, this garden, I find out from my scholarly friend um, that he had just been fired. Um, he had been looked over from the time that he had started teaching, uh, and he was basically now completely excluded from the academy um, because of his biblical beliefs. He held tight to the word of God as being uh, the word of God. 
Packer says that I asked him, you know, how are you doing? Are you okay with that? And he said, the man turned to him and said, oh, yes, I'm fine. And he's like, how are you okay with that? Right? Your, your future is over. You will never be accepted in that place because of what you're clinging to. How are you okay? And he said his reply was this, because I know God. It's that man and that mentality that says, I forsake everything. I'll leave it all for the sake of knowing and loving God and being known by him. A far, far greater reality than any sort of identity could possibly give us as being a foremost scholar or being able to fit in this society that is the Corinthian society, loving God and being known by him is primary. And we rejoice especially that we love God because he first loved us. A love that doesn't take, but a love that gives to the very uttermost, a love that is meant to satisfy our souls. And this is precisely what Paul brings up next. He, so he first asks the question, do you love God? But then the second question he really asks in verse 4 through 6 is, do you know who you were made for? The Corinthians continue on, right? So they, they open up by, you know, we, we possess knowledge. We know how these things work. But then they continue on to say, you know, an idol has no real existence, and there is no God but one. And they're right. They get that completely correct. And Paul will, in fact, affirm that. You're, you're right. Idols are simply wood and stone and little embellishment things. That's true, and there is one God alone. But he'll conclude his argument uh, starting in chapter 8. He'll conclude this in chapter 10 to say, but when you worship and participate in idol worship, while those things themselves are just sticks and stones, it's actually also demonic. There's a much deeper and sinister point to what's going on at this point in time. And Paul states that to say, here's what you actually need to know. You were not made for anything else except for God. How is it that you, O Corinthian church, are going to be faithful in a pagan society that constantly is going to draw you in to worship its idols. Here's how you do it. Remember, you were made for God. Fish were made for water. Thoroughbreds were made to run. Labradoodles were made to destroy things. But people were made to fellowship and love and worship the holy, eternal, triune God. That's why God created you. And honestly, this, this is 
one facet, one major component that will cut through every issue of identity in our society today. You ask somebody in the streets, if you want to really get to the heart of the person, ask them, what were you made for? And some people will say, I was made to reflect the, the innermost idea that I have of my own being and for that to be reflected outwardly, at least in the moment. Well, that will always let them down. They will never be enough in their own eyes. You ask an athlete, especially, what were you made for? I was made to play ball, we say here in the South. What happens whenever you blow your ACL and you never touch a pigskin again? What are you made for now? Or maybe something as noble and wonderful as, what were you made for? I was made to work and work hard. What happens when you break your back and you can't? Or something even as wonderful as this. What were you made for? I was made to love and take care of my kids. Every parent in the room knows that's a fleeting thing to be made for. Your children will let you down. And you'll let them down too. These things that we latch our very identity on, the whole purpose of our existence and our being, will always crush us and break our hearts. But Paul lays before us this glorious truth. Yet for us, there's one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. He's calling us to say there is something far greater offered here in your creator than anything that could possibly be offered in this world. Is your soul broken and weary and tired and desert-like? What do you need? You need the thing that you were created for, your God and your king. That's who you were made for. But Paul then takes this central gospel truth, this reality that we were made for God, and he applies it to their situation and asks them another question. Do you know that you are not your own? We see this in verses uh, 7 through 13. The Corinthians continue on in their argument. They, they come before him and, and they say, you know, um, well, Paul, you know, f food will not commend us to God, and we're, we're no worse off if we eat or don't eat. You know, it, it's fine. And, and moreover, Paul, you know what Jesus did. He, he made all food clean. And so we, we not only have you know, a right, but we have an authority to eat of this food. We have everything that we possibly need, and it's okay, Paul. It's okay. And Paul brings a rebuttal. He says this in verse 10. For if anyone sees you, uh, sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, 
Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Paul is getting to the very heart of the matter. We belong to each other. And more importantly, we belong to Christ. We, as this united body and group of believers, are bound to one another and bound to Christ himself. Now, it's also true, and this is something important for us to know, that the idea of our individualism that is so tempting, especially in our society, is somewhat of a myth. No matter where you are in the world, and no matter what you think, you belong to a people. You belong to a community. You belong to some sort of group. You will latch yourself onto them and say, this is my group, and these are my people. And once more, we can really sympathize with, uh, with the Corinthians when we kind of understand the context of this is their very identity. One Chinese uh, commentator on this passage says, um, if you ask a Chinese person to not participate in the sacrificial worship uh, of ancestor worship and not eat the food sacrificed in it, you're implicitly advising them not to love their parents, not to practice love, and not to be Chinese. You will belong to a people somewhere. The question is which people will you belong to? They're pleading with Paul here in Corinth, don't take away my identity. Paul pleads with them, though, by saying this, by giving up the identity that you had before and focusing and centering your identity as belonging to Christ, you lose nothing and you gain everything. It's there that you are filled up with the, the very reason for why you exist. It's there that you receive the greatest identity that you could possibly have as belonging to Christ Jesus and now belonging to the Holy God. For to him and through him and for him are all things. And it's there that our, our true identity flourishes as the people of God, belonging to him and belonging to each other. So Paul wants us to come here to this text and see how is it that we live faithfully in this idolatrous world. We must remember who we belong to and remember that it is his world and his body. May we cling to this identity May we cling to the glory that he alone fills us up. May we remember that we are not our own, but we belong to him. And may we remember that he alone satisfies our souls to the uttermost. Let us go to him now in prayer. Oh, great God, heavenly Father, 
we rejoice that you satisfy our longings, that you alone take from us the idols of our hearts to give us and fill us up more with you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would show us where we have worshipped our idols, that we would repent and come before you who seeks to build us up, that we would bring you glory in all things. And so now, O Lord, as we come to your table, may we fellowship with you there and see that you are what we were made for and that fellowshipping and communing with you is what our souls long for most. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.